Welcome to Amped Up with Proud Resistor. This is progressive activist Ryan Knight. And I'm Chris Lavoy of The Stephanie Miller Show. And our guest today is Anoa Changa. Anoa is a writer, a political analyst, a lawyer, and she's the host of the podcast, The Way with Anoa. Anoa, welcome to Amped Up. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today because uh, it comes on the heels of Black Woman 4, uh, a group of over 100 influential black women and gender nonconforming activists to endorse Elizabeth Warren for president. Uh, you're on the steering committee uh, of Black Women for Warren. So how did all of these well-known organizers, writers, artists, educators, political strategists come together uh, to back Elizabeth Warren? Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a wild it's a wild ride. It's a very interesting um experience and I'll just back up a little bit for many of us, yep. you know, coming from particular political spaces and ideologies. Um and myself, I was a big Bernie supporter in 2016. Um and coming into this cycle, I actually wasn't like I've liked Senator Warren, you know, I, I you know, she's been on the right side of issues before a lot of folks, particularly in this post 2016 era where there's so much um, that has come to the surface yep. that needs to be dealt with beyond just, you know, um, getting, you know, the orange dude out of office. <laughs> uh, like it was just really thinking critically, like, how are we going to show up? in this cycle, in this moment, you know, for some people do electoral politics, even actually we're talking about like real critical needs of um, black and other communities. Does, does electoral politics really actually even help? So these are like real conversations and questions people are grappling with. Right. Yeah. Um, so for me, like I said, for me personally, I was a bit bothered by this, by Senator Warren at the beginning of the cycle, there were the mistakes that were made, but watching her rebound, Watching her take a different approach and not necessarily blame the people who maybe critiqued her mm. or, um, you know, and people have various, you know, uh, uh, opinions about whether or not she's done enough to address some of the earlier issues. However, many of us started taking notice, like by the time she, the people happened in April, right. um, you know, and the way she showed up and it was, it wasn't, it wasn't clear like how the room would re respond to any of the candidates, honestly, yep. because that was a collective of close to 2000 organizers from various organizations across the country, you know, um, all women of color. So it, it was, it was very interesting to see how people responded to the different candidates. And she was last because it was done in alphabetical order. And <laughs> she really showed up. Like yep. she really showed up in a real way that, that got folks kind of taking notice. What really caught my attention was a little earlier than that here in the Atlanta metro area. She had um, one of her earlier rallies was right outside of Atlanta and Gwinnett County, which is one of the most rapidly um, changing counties demographically in the country. And so she, she had this rally and I went cause I, I tend to go to things here for the podcast and for social commentary and stuff. Yep. And I was thinking about, cause I've never really heard much about her story. And when I learned that she had been a young mom, like myself mm -hmm. going through law school with kids, like I did, um, I started law school. My son was two and a half. My daughter was five and I'm listening to her talk about her story. And I was like, wow, that's my story. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna listen to see what else she has to say. So by the time she, the people happens, we're all like, oh, but she also had a bunch of staffers on hand with her and they were so approachable and relatable and wanting to connect and hear people's concerns, mm. right? So I was like, okay, this is cool. And so then we move a little bit forward. And then um, with Black Women Force specifically, it's just a lot of us who have shared space, who are friends, who are colleagues. We're sitting around talking, having different conversations about this cycle and how stressed it is, for yes. us how we're actually going to show up. And there were some people who were like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Some people were leaning towards Warren. Some people were like, I haven't even paid attention yet, but we made an effort. We were like, let's start having a conversation about this amongst ourselves. Mm. And Angela Peoples, um, some of y'all might know Angela yes. from her work, yep. but some of you might know Angela from the viral photo of the black woman with the lollipop at the women's inaugural women's march. Yes, with the, um, <laughs> sign about white women voting for Trump. Yes, right that in right right in front of three white women uh, wearing their pink hats. Yes, yes, so I Angela love that photo. Is, 
phenomenal, amazing, you know, uh, uh, woman, organizer, sister friend. And then also you have Leslie Mack, you have uh, our steering committee members who were part of this core conversation. And what happened, we asked for, um, Senator Warren had been doing these different conversations around the country. And I would say that Senator Warren, Senator Sanders, and Senator Castro, I think have been doing the best job out of the whole field about having these smaller organizer focused conversations with people mm-hmm. in movement spaces. Yep. Um, you know, Senator Castro has been amazing at that. Senator Sanders and his team have done some of these as well. Um, and not just tied to endorsement processes because they're all doing the different forums and endorsements and stuff. Right. Not all, some right. of them are, but I think that these three have actually made a point to actually engage folks. And and for our purposes, for our um, group, we've all had varying interactions with all three campaigns, right? So with, with Senator Warren, we, we knew that she had been doing these different conversations and sit-downs with Black organizers, but also there was a specific effort to have conversations with Black women. So we were like, a lot of us are going to be at uh, at Netroots in Philly. Yep. She was scheduled to be at Netroots. We were like, well, we would like to sit down. We would We would like to have a meeting. You know, but we didn't want it to just be a meeting with us. We wanted, we were like, if you're going to be in Philly, then you need to actually talk to women who are actually in Philly, yep. who are not necessarily people connected to specific organizations that you think curry favor. And they were like, we totally agree. So folks may remember seeing pictures of a Philly um, feminista Jones uh, tweeted out some pictures and videos of our Philly meeting. We had a Philly meetup. It was um, half of us were, you know, national organizers and grassroots folks who were present for Netroots. The other half were Philly-based women, small business owners, just other Black women who were in the room from locally. Um, and there was no requirement for who was in that room that that, that they absolutely have to support Warren. Um, that there was no requirement that we weren't giving pre-screen questions or we weren't told to give them our questions ahead of time. Like it was a conversation that was guided by Angela. Um, and, and it went really well. And just seeing her take whatever people gave, um, at the table, uh, particularly one of our steering committee members, Tracy Quarter, asked specifically about accountability mm-hmm. yep. um, and and how she planned to show up and respond because we're like, we're not going to be quiet. Like, yeah. we yeah. end up supporting you. If yeah. we do end up supporting you, like, you need to understand, like, if you mess up, we're going to let you know. But that doesn't mean that we're abandoning you. And this is something that's really important for me, too. Like when we're talking about politics and Ryan and I talk about this all the time when people get upset. Why are you pointing this out? Why are you saying this? This is divisive. It's not divisive. When we talk about accountability in our spaces and the need to address things that have been done wrong, like we can't just gloss over it for any reason, even though we want to win. Right. Like we don't teach our kids. That's how they win. Well, part of the reason we got Donald Trump, a lot of people in our party don't like to admit that, but. But there yeah. there were a lot of these systemic problems before Trump, right? Sure. Yes. And we kept glossing yes. over them. And when you keep glossing over the problem, you get a bigger problem, right? And that problem was Donald Trump. You know, one thing I, that struck me, Noah, after re and I encourage all of our listeners to go to uh, Black Women 4, go to their Twitter account or their web page and actually read the endorsement because the endorsement mm-hmm. itself is so incredibly moving. But what struck me when I read it was, you know, there's this talking point in our party that, you know, black people and black women, they, they, that you know, that they're all moderate and pragmatic because they have to be, you know, because the system is, you know, has, has pushed them down for so long. And, you know, so you just, you have to be pragmatic. And what struck me so much about reading your endorsement and about your collective kind of strength coming behind Senator Warren is it's almost like you're saying like, no, like, Black people need to dream big. Mm-hmm. Like we can fight for big structural change too because that's going to benefit our communities. Like the status quo isn't helping us anymore, right? And so Absolutely. that was like what struck me so much is like if you turn on CNN or MSNBC, it's like, you know, all the black people, you know, Joe Biden has all the black vote on lockdown. <laughs> but, but when I read your endorsement, I thought to myself, it's like, you know, it just makes so much sense that it, it's like, and also... Elizabeth Warren was in single digits back in April with black voter voters. Now in the polls, mm-hmm. she's at about 20%. Yeah. So she's increased, she's increased her approval with black voters by almost 20 points by actually doing the work, right? By like, you know, not by, you know, releasing polls, right. you know, and, and scapegoating like another campaign did, but by actually like, <laughs> but by actually doing the work and showing up. And, and I think that's the kind of president she would be, right? Someone who actually Absolutely. does the work. 
Absolutely. Well, so, I mean, like what you're saying is like right on, right? Like, so, and this is again, like, so that statement, beautifully written statement by Angela, like we, we all absolutely agree with the statement and the women who all sign on, including my daughter and my mother also both signed on. And no, I didn't make, I'm not (laughs) one of those parents that made my kid, you know, pledge the vote the same way I do. Who knows what they will actually do when they go in the voting booth for the first time. Right. But my kid read it and was like, oh, this is powerful. I can get behind, I can put my name on this. Yeah. I was just like, wow, your first big political act. Oh my gosh. But, <laughs> um, but so that's why it's really like powerful for me. Also just seeing people that I admire, right. To be right. Able to, like, that's when, when I first got added to, cause again, the, all the greatest things start in a group chat. When I'm in this group <laughs> chat and, and we have people like Jessica Bird, a uh, three point strategies, who is also like one of the phenomenal women behind the amazing effort we saw here in Georgia with Stacey Abrams mm-hmm. um, and several other, you know, awesome campaign transformative canes across the country. We have Rakia Lumumba, who is a, a fierce um, black lawyer, scholar, organizer in her own right, but also happens to be this the older sister of Mayor Chokwe Lumumba in Jackson. Mm. Um, Rakia is just awesome. Um, we have uh, Angela Peoples. We have Leslie Mack. We have... Um, I'm Charlene Carruthers, uh, one of the co-founders of BYP 100. I mean, we have this really great list. Tracy Corder is a national organizer of Center for Popular Democracy. I mean, we have this amazing collective of women who came together, Nicole Cardi, um, came together and were like, we want to move with intentionality. Like there is an opportunity in this moment right. that whomever wins this election is not going to suddenly make everything perfect. And we'll have like, you know, yellow brick roads and candy canes coming from the sky and right. stuff. There's going to be real work no matter who. And, right. you know, for some <laughs> of us, our politics are further left. Right. And that, that actually was a really challenging conversation mm. because it's just like, okay, my politics may technically be more aligned with Senator Sanders, for example, but what does it mean to collectively build, organize, and grow and push someone? Mm. And where can we where can we exist as a collective to move things forward? Like if we're having conversations with Senator Warren's team about one of the concerns, and I'm like, we've pushed, we've pushed her on stuff. Like I've had tense conversations with 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 members of the team. Um, and then they're like, okay, I respect that we don't agree on this. But like, so there is the recognition that, yes, we can support you, but we're also going to push. We may not agree with certain things, but we're definitely going to push. But then also, what can we do to make sure that we have a critical mass of people moving on issues that matter absolutely across the board to all of our communities? And that doesn't mean that because we're pushing on particular issues and supporting people in one way, that we won't stand up and challenge if we feel like things are not being followed through in another area. One of the issues of concern for for, for me at least was on um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the organization, if um not now, uh released uh, uh, uh like a statement, uh had some tweets that suggested that maybe there was some flip-flopping happening within the campaign. The campaign has held strong and firm, like what we're saying in public is the same thing we're saying to people in private, where we don't yep. have different positions but me being the advocate that i am i'm like well look this organization does good work and if this is what's happening you know then the campaign needs to address this so like there are potential opportunities where we may like push our own candidate and it may be necessary it may not be necessary but i do appreciate the way in which the campaign has responded when we haven't publicly agreed with them (laughs) as well um so yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say when you were saying that, it just struck a, it just made me think of something. One of the things I like about Senator Warren is that her message is the same no matter if she's campaigning in Iowa or if she's campaigning in South Carolina or if she's campaigning in California. I remember, you know, maybe like four months ago watching a video of her. It explained to an all white crowd in Iowa mm-hmm. about why mm-hmm. we need to address the racial wealth gap and about mm-hmm. why and about why mm-hmm. the racial wealth gap is what it is. And I thought and she had an entire room of, of right. white people in Iowa clapping and cheering, yeah. you know, to bring change so we can address the racial wealth gap. And I thought that is someone that we need. And, and so instead and, of pandering right. like well, another politician, would. Exactly. No, and, and also like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? For sure. <laughs> and no, not only pandering, absolutely. too, is it's like people are. I feel like we're in this like savior complex. Like, you know, everyone thought Mueller would save us. And then everyone thought, you know, 
we've been right. looking for a savior and mm-hmm. with, and with Warren it's like she knows she's not a savior she knows that after Trump is gone there is going to be so much work to clean up and undo all of this corruption and and then not only clean up the corruption but actually center people in America that have never really been centered or part of the of the conversation before mm-hmm. and so it's like she actually wants to build and, and roll up her sleeves and like i said earlier get to work yeah. and i just think that's the kind of leader we need not like yeah. oh i'm an old white man who was a vice president and you know i'm writing obama's <laughs> coattails i'm gonna I save you I, I feel about that I'm gonna, who are you talking about ryan i'm gonna save you <laughs> I feel about no that. nobody else but me can beat trump nobody else can you know i'm just gonna keep repeating that over and over again it's like I no mean, <laughs> right, 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 and agreed. And like the thing is, like I absolutely agree with that. And that was one of the other things that we absolutely took notice as a collective. Right, we're having these conversations, and like for many of us, Senator, um, not Senator, Secretary Castro is a strong favorite as well. Right, right. and we were He's trying to amazing. figure out. He has been absolutely amazing. He's been amazing. I have- I've probably donated the most money to his campaign and I'm broke. I'll tweet. I'm like, look, I'm broke, but can everybody else give him $5? I mean, Cash, I mean Secretary Castro keeps saying calling him Senator, hint, hint, uh, Secretary. But, um, but like, I think that he has really pushed and driven the conversation. And yep. I love the friendship 2020 that we see, particularly between their campaigns um, a lot. But like, we're just looking at who is driving conversations, who is driving issues. And like you said, um, like one of the, th- one of the, one of there have been things that I have looked at and I've looked at how people respond to what has happened. Right. Mm. So another example is black farmers wrote an open letter about, um, her agricultural plan. I think it was and noting the issues and how it could further compound problems. Mm-hmm. And so I like in a, in a, in just in a conversation, just in my own capacity, the fact that, let me just back up for a second. The fact that a little black girl who grew up in in, in poverty in Harlem in the South Side of Chicago, a single mom, right, a working class single mom, could grow up to be someone who's actually in co- communication and conversation with the staff of a major presidential campaign is like wild. It's amazing, right? It but, is a wild. But thing that's to me. but like but that to me when you say that I got goosebumps. But Noah, like the. People who are closest to the pain are the ones who know how to fix these problems, right? And so for too long, our politicians have been so disconnected from what's actually happening in our communities. So like to know that someone like you is talking to the campaign and working with the campaign and building coalitions like this, this is how change happens, right? This is how we build an America that works for everybody, you know? And too long, we've been leaving people out. No, I agree. And so for me, like I said, you know, single black mom of two, my daughter just entered college. Congratulations. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. You know, um, I am, I am, you know, we're sitting here struggling. I was reading the the op-ed that the Senator wrote in essence recently talking about, you know, um, how we need to fight to end the school to prison pipeline. Just thinking about there was actually this really amazing youth mandate for presidential candidates Mm -hmm. that was just released by this collective of um, youth organizers and organizations. I interviewed one of the signers on um, Lit Leaders in Transformation, which is the organization out of Milwaukee. They are all under 30. Um, But like there is this whole thing about, you know, uh, the school to prison to deportation pipeline they talk about. Right. But like reading her Essence magazine, I can tell that she is listening. And there's a difference because like campaigns will add bits and pieces in and you can have the most well-written plan possible. But can the campaign this candidate, the staffers conversantly engage on these issues with people and then understand why, if there's an objection, that there's an objection being made for certain reasons. Like, so I I, I appreciate the fact that she is able to talk regardless of the audience. Right. And we are, the conversations we might have privately, we'll hear from other people who have had conversations that they're having similar conversations. So it's not even like I'm telling different groups different things. Right. But the fact that us as a collective you know, are being treated with the same seriousness and 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 uh, partnership as you know bigger name orgs or individuals. Really, I think goes to you know what she views and is trying to build collectively going well, forward, right? And, and who she's fighting for. You know, the thing about yeah. Elizabeth Warren is like I know she's fighting for my family. I know she's fighting for your family. Look, I even know she's fighting for the families who won't vote for her. You know, but, mm-hmm. but some of these other candidates, like, 
I'll be honest, I don't know who they're fighting for. You know what I mean? I hear a lot of platitudes, but I don't hear plans. I hear a lot of platitudes, a lot of platitudes, not plans. Not plans. And, you know, I just want to step back a little bit and kind of broaden our conversation. Um, You know, I I, the way I kind of see the Democratic primary shaping up to be right now, it's almost like a contest between more centrism and big structural change. Right. And what's interesting to me is the more moderate candidates like Biden and Buttigieg have struggled to sell their centrist solutions. Mm-hmm. So, they, so they've reverted to attacking Warren's big ideas. Now, contrary- Because it hasn't, and it hasn't worked. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta obfuscate because you right. don't have anything actually to show, right? Right, because yeah, they're, yeah they're, they're not like, you hear them and it's like, they're not making a compelling vision for like what they're gonna do as president. They're attacking Warren's big ideas. And contrary to what the polls and the pundits and the centrists say, I don't see our party winning back the, vo- the working class and energizing younger voters and voters of color um, with the same failed status quo politics that brought us here. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think it's really interesting when we're talking about people, especially when people talk about, well, the moderates need this. I mean, honestly, like moderate voters and centrist voters, it is a I mean, Part of why that becomes, I guess, the majority of who people think exists is because of how money has been spilt to, spent to engage people in the process, right? right? Yeah. Um, and even when you think about the way we do polling, like polling is based on, you know, likely voters in particular, based on how people have voted in elections. But we know that there are millions of people who sit out of elections for a variety of reasons who yep. have been, because they're untouched. Yep. I mean, and it's well, we up had- to campaigns. And yeah. a hundred million people didn't vote in 2016, eligible right, voters. Right, right. And so we have. And I was just going to, I was also going to say when you said that about polling, you're absolutely right. What people don't realize, polling, polling is just like a snapshot of like who voters, you know, what they think, you know, is their candidate. That, but like in 2016, right. guess what? Hillary was beating Trump in all the polls. And then guess what happened on election day? We didn't turn she out was enough. Crushing in all, she was crushing, crushing in all the, in the polls. polls. Yes. But on election day, we didn't yes. have enough voters in those swing states to beat him. And that's the difference mm-hmm. between looking good on paper, right? And being a candidate that can inspire and energize the voters that we need to turn out and vote. And so I tell people like, when you look at polling, it doesn't necessarily mean that like, that means Biden is going to beat Trump. That's just what people think right now. So much can change. And again, when you watch Biden, watch him for 10 minutes. I always tell people, watch Biden for 10 minutes and then tell me if you think that he's going to outwork, outlast, and outorganize Donald Trump. Because I just don't think he has enough energy to do it. Well, it's not to say he doesn't have enough energy. I don't think that I don't think that his team, with the people around him, are really having an honest understanding and look at the current playing field like when we're looking at donald trump i mean let me just back up for a second right when we look at what's happening with facebook for example yeah right twitter to an extent but facebook in particular and this whole issue around campaigns and candidates being able and elected officials being able to lie in advertising and not have to be accountable to fact checking and then we look at the massive disinformation campaign that already exists right not just like the Russian different information boosting that happened. That is a problem. But yeah. we look because when we go back to and this ties into even the recent Kentucky win, we go back to look at the campaign that was spent around the ACA and why when people hear the term Obamacare, they have a more negative reaction to it than when they hear about the ACA. Right? Like I can't remember which one of the the, the shows did it. I can't remember if it was Jimmy Fallon or one of the other ones who did it. But they would like ask people on the street about the ACA versus. Obamacare. Mm. Overwhelmingly, people preferred the ACA to Obamacare, yeah. but it's the same thing. Right. right? It was Jimmy Kimmel. So, yeah, I, yeah, I remember Jimmy, that segment. Jimmy, Jimmy yep. Kimmel. And so, like, they, they, they have. They have spent all this time in misinforming people about things like the ACA, right. mis- the claims about the death panels, all of that stuff, right? That all predated the 2016 election. We come fast, we fast forward to 2015 when Kentucky switches to, um, to Bevan. Um, and part of it was riding the wave of misinformation around the ACA in 2014, that midterm election cycle. We saw major losses. We saw Democrats backing away and not standing with the president on the ACA and really right standing strong and firm and correcting this the misinformation. Yep. And so we've seen these seeds being planted for a long time yep. now, right? Yep. And now it has spread, particularly with how 
much more uh, uh, integrated. Digital media yep. and Facebook in particular are in our political ecosystem. So we have well, all of this happening on top of a president <laughs> yep. that blatantly lies, yep. obfuscates, and inflames the worst rhetoric. Well, so well, I, well, I'm so we glad, got a lot to do. <laughs> yes, but I'm so glad you brought this up, Anoa, because you're totally right. And But what's interesting to me is this is... This is their weapon, right? Trump's weapon and the Republican Party's weapon is fear. They use fear, right? That's how they turn out their base. You know, in 2016, it was, you know, you know, Mexicans are rapists and drug dealers and they're taking all your jobs, right? Even though that's not why, you know, white working class people are struggling in America. It's because corporations and billionaires shipped all their jobs overseas, right? And, and automation is replacing them. But the point I'm trying to make is fear is their weapon. Fear is, mm -hmm. not, fear is not our weapon. We're not going to win an election by using Trump's weapon. We're going to win an election with hope and courage and big transformational change, right? So when, Ob when Biden's campaign is kind of using these fear tactics and trying to scare people into voting for him, and you know now they're demonizing Warren and they're demonizing her big ideas, I'm sitting here like, no, we need the big ideas and the big message to get people to vote. And when people get so mm -hmm. drawn up like, oh, but Medicare for all and this and that, it's like y'all are getting so in the weeds. What she's telling you is that she's fighting for universal health care in America so that everyone in, Amer in America can have health care and have a chance to succeed. That's her value. She's telling you she'll fight for it. What the moderates are saying is they're saying they won't even fight for Medicare for all. And so, and that's the thing. It's like, if we keep starting our policies from these moderate watered down positions, we're never going to get universal health care, right? Like the whole point is you got to fight from a position of strength. You fight from the, from the strong position and then you negotiate with the Republicans and they're going to water it down anyways. But when you start and you won't even fight for Medicare for all, we're definitely never going to end up with a, you know, a universal health care system. Do you know what I mean? So it's like it's the difference mm -hmm. in the tactics in our party. The, the, the moderates just kind of want everything to kind of stay the same, but they're going to be less racist than Trump and, you know, and less homophobic than Trump. But but they don't want to make these big changes that, that are impacting the lives of everyday Americans. Right. I mean, but this is this is a real issue with the frustration and why we've, people, we've seen people sit out. Right. right. And not engage, whether we've lost them in midterm election cycles in 2010 and 2014, whether it was the people who just did not show up at the polls in 2016. And for me, like I get how frustrating it can be to shame people who vote or don't vote a certain way. However, it is really, really important that we refocus and actually invest in building those relationships and helping people who have systemically been, you know, either left behind, disenfranchised by, you know, the current the current system of things, absolutely, of the way things are, that we bring people into the process. Well, and this is an opportunity to do that yeah, because Trump has left everybody behind. So like this Trump is an opportunity. He has left everybody but his billionaires well, and his family behind. Well, getting so, back to the point. This right, is an opportunity point, for us. Getting back to the point you made earlier, you're absolutely right. It's an opportunity for us about the way organ way Warren organizes and builds, right? Right. So she's not she's not going to like sidestep on tough conversations. Or she's not going to downplay the importance of being strong on reproductive justice, right? She's not going to do these things. She is going to find a way to talk to people in a way that relates to them directly without having to throw any other group under the bus. And that's what I appreciate about when she does go into settings that might be more traditionally white working class, but also the fact that she realizes that if she's going to be going through the Midwest, you know, I mean, she's from Oklahoma, so she should know this, you know, from her own experiences, but like... That, that 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 there are other people I you know talking to her southern regional political director um, Chelsea Cartwright uh, Chelsea did a rural like swing through the black belt um, here and uh, well not here but in, in across Alabama they were talking about affordable housing down in Mississippi I mean so she's going into the communities and, and sitting with folks and having conversations that we would see only people going into areas to, to try and win back you know white voters who haven't talked who haven't voted in overwhelming majorities for Democratic candidates since before Carter. Right. 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 So, I mean, that's not to say that. And so my thing always with folks is I'm not saying that we never talk to white people about voting. I think we talk to everyone about our issues well, in I, voting. But when we're, yeah. go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say. organizing, 
we don't do it at the expense of groups who we know are our natural allies and will show up. Absolutely. You're hitting the nail on the head, Anoa. Because, well, the and the other thing is like, we there was the, the difference in the black turnout from Obama and Hillary was was one of the reasons we lost as well because she didn't turn out as many as, as many black voters which are the base of our party so you're absolutely right it's not just about pandering to our we got to energize and inspire mm-hmm. our base um one of the issues i want to talk to you about because it's so it's, it's so big in the news right now is elizabeth warren's you know two cent wealth tax um, mm. you know she's proposed a two cent wealth tax on the greatest fortunes in america so that other people in this country have a chance to succeed uh, and the billionaire class, including Bill Gates, who we thought was like one of the good billionaires, right. uh, have completely lost their fucking minds. Um, <laughs> literally, yeah. Anoa. Yeah. Um, earning, that's a good way, are, that's a good way to put it. We are earning our explicit badge here. <laughs> Seriously. They, the billionaire class are losing their fucking minds over two cents. Yeah. Two cents. Um, and But this, to me, strikes at the heart of the problem in America. Like, I see so many Democrats, you know, they think that, you know, it's all Donald Trump and he's so bad and he and whatever. And yeah, he's really bad. But Donald Trump is not the disease. He is the mm-hmm. symptom. The disease in America is greed. I mean, what mm. do you think about all these billionaire tears? <laughs> I think it only reinforces Warren's message about the massive wealth inequality in this country, which hits communities of color even harder and, mm-hmm. is, and, and is exactly why we need a two cent wealth tax. Like the billionaires are proving why we need the two cent wealth tax. I mean, the collective, you know, crybaby fallout that we see happening. I would, you know, you see like temper tantrums, like when they have those viral videos of like three year olds having temper tantrums, yep. right? Because they can't get like more ice cream or something. Yeah. Like, and on their back in really the Walmart I, parking, parking lot. Yes, yes. this uh-huh. is what I, you know, this is like what I, um, I think about. There's a gif actually of a little girl throwing herself on the floor, kicking and screaming. And this is what I think about when these people who have more money than like, you could ever accumulate in multiple lifetimes. Uh, it's 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 egregious and it's yes. it's so wild. Yes, and so like and and especially like you said, like Bill Gates. It's like everyone's like, well, Bill Gates is already giving away all of his fortune. It's like, yeah, Bill Gates can give away. Bill Gates could never give away all of his fortune. Exactly. That's how much money he yes. makes, right? Yes. And so, and when you look at like the way the rules are and how things are structured that has allowed them to accumulate what they have accumulated, it's You mean on the backs of unfair. on the backs of working people and, and, and on the backs absolutely. of black and brown people and on the backs of LGBTQ people, they've accumulated all this wealth? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And now we have and now we have Bloomberg flirting with oh, jumping oh, in the race. God. I would love for Michael Bloomberg to jump in just so he can get his feelings all the way hurt. Yes. But I, I think it's I think it's like the height of narcissism with him and Tom Steyer also. Yes. Yeah. Then we need a billionaire um, to to save us from the fake billionaire. <laughs> well not even just that. Not even not even just that. The fake billionaire who was who was um Bloomberg's friend until twenty fifteen. Right. Uh, yeah so like, and, and let's not forget the fact that Bloomberg was a Republican for a long time. He was right. a Republican and, for and a long time. Not like how time. Warren was like right. you know no, no, he was he was actively a Republican yes. for a long time. It, that that what that actually is going to be interesting with him trying to run as a Democrat. He really should actually just run as a Republican. But that's a whole other story too. <laughs> but 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 the thing with Bloomberg that really and Tom Steyer because both of them you know have the philanthropy elements to what they have done, um, and both of them have been huge funders for you know some good work that has happened. Um, they themselves are problematic as fuck, but like they 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 have funded some good works, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Moms and Am Action in every town, um, and then Tom Steyer has helped fund you know uh, uh, environmental organizing yeah. work and other and other work. So like, but to jump in, I also feel like it puts the organization, the organizing, and the work that they have claimed to support at risk, right? Because it also puts a lot of people, I think, in a very stressful position. If you know what I'm saying, like, do you do, like what happens? Is there strings attached to the funding that these organizations and entities receive? Um, because, right. like, I mean, he's not the best on any of these issues that these or same with Tom Stark, neither one of them are the best on the issues that are being fought for. Yep. That their organizations that they fund are fighting for. So what happens to the people doing this work? Can they actually legitimately do the work and push how they need to? Yep. I mean, the other issue I have with Bloomberg is Bloomberg is like 
more racist than uh, Biden is. Like, I know Biden, people might say, oh, Biden's not a racist. That's so mean to say. Biden is like one of those really nice liberal racists, right? Like, he's an old school white Democrat who says things that make the young folks cringe. And you're like, granddad, you can't say that. Anymore. You can't call people colored anymore, right? Like, right. that's the type of, that's the type of person. Like, I mean, Biden has learned a little bit better. I mean, since 2007, when he was commenting on how well Barack Obama speaks, but like <laughs> yeah. Bloomberg, clean Bloomberg, and articulate. Yeah, those right. were the words. Yes, yes. yes. I remember. Yes. Oh. Bloomberg, oh. Bloomberg, as mayor of New York, was fighting was fighting for stop and frisk, which has been proven to be racially, you know, disproportionately affect overwhelmingly black and brown people in New York City and elsewhere where it has been used, yep. right? It has been struck down. Yep. And he also had comments about how black men shouldn't own guns. Not that we should get rid of guns in America, period, but black men shouldn't own guns for, for various stereotypical reasons. So like Bloomberg yeah. is like one of one of the worst people that who have been embraced by Democrats. Democrats, yeah, because they're all friends. Because he has, and like, well, because he has, because he has money. Let's be honest. Well, he has money, <laughs> but he's. It's the same reason why people had embraced Trump before he decided right. that he was going to get into politics. And be the way, right? Well, because because New York Republicans are not really Republicans until they are. Right. <laughs> like, well, it, it, here's the thing with me. It's like it speaks to the bigger issue about what kind of nation do we want to be? I mean, anyone mm-hmm. who's being honest with themselves has to look at what our system has become. Capitalism is it, it's working really great for the billionaires and the bajil- and the zillionaires, but it's not working so great for the middle class, the poor, the working class and for minority communities. And it's like all Warren is saying is if you pitch mm-hmm. in two cents after you after your 50 millionth dollar. Then we can provide universal childcare to every baby in America. We can we can provide tuition-free college to everyone in America, and we can write off almost all of the student debt in America. And that will that just that alone eighty per, that will help eighty percent of minority families. So her wealth tax helps communities of color even more. And all mm-hmm. billionaires have to do is pitch in two cents, and they're crying about it. That's it's, right. It's crazy to me. Like it is, it is, it is, it is pathological. It is very problematic when we're really watching all this unfold. But it's also like the pathology of you know the wealth, the elite wealth class, like the the super elite wealthy class too, right? right? Like we we have had a system, like our current system of capitalism has never worked for all the rest of us. We've just been able to in past instances maybe we had people who were able to like move from one level not to the super upper top level because right. that's the way the system has been designed but when we have a system that's built you know on like the stolen land and stolen labor yep. and then the many other instances and abuses that have happened along the way whether it's abusive child labor and poor working conditions right in the early um, 1900s late 1800s yep. whether it's like yep. you know the abuses of like the Chinese and others and building the railroad to expand West, whether again the land that's been stolen, whether from indigenous people, you know, on what we now call the United States of America, or indigenous people who are in, in now what, what what's referred to as Mexico and in Central, you know what I'm saying? Like, yep. like there's just so yeah. many layers. And it's all quarter. it's, I mean, it's what, been here from the beginning. I mean, all of these injustices the have flowed from the yeah. beginning. And it's like we've put some band-aids in this and that. But my yeah. thing is I had yeah. I talked to someone the other day who's like who's like a big capitalist and he was talking with his children and who are like super Bernie supporters. And now he's supporting Elizabeth Warren because he realized that if you want capitalism to continue, that there's an argument to be made that like this level we're at now is unsustainable. There was a new report out by the New York times that the 400 wealthiest people in America are paying a lower tax rate than the working class. I mean, just think about that. We're heading toward the second Gilded Age if we're not already in it already. And what happened after the Gilded Age? The Great Depression. So what Warren's whole argument is, is that we need to save capitalism from itself and make it more equitable for everybody. So a two cent wealth tax is it's not even like and I love what she the people she was like, you know, this is this isn't perfect. It's a start. And so this is it's like what she's fighting for you know, that people are saying is so disruptive and whatever. It's like, no, she's fighting for this. It's really not. It's really not disruptive. And it will lift up 
millions of people of color and working people in this country so that everyone has a little bit better of a chance to make it big. And if we don't even want to do the bare minimum, like what are we all fighting for? Like I see some of these activists on Twitter, you know, some celebrity activists, and they use their big platforms to, to continue the status quo. And I'm like, what are you mm -hmm. fighting for? You know what I mean? And you know, if we just, I, I, I have my little bullet points for you. So <laughs> my last one though, I want to get your take on is, you know, <laughs> the, these attacks against Elizabeth Warren by Wall Street and the billionaire class, you know, I, they shouldn't surprise any of us because mm -mm. This, is, this is what happens when a bold woman rises up against a political system that's been corrupted by greed and no longer serves the people. But what's very interesting to me is that if you notice, Wall Street and the billionaires, they're not attacking Biden or Buttigieg, right? Because they know that nothing will fundamentally change if they win. And if nothing fundamentally changes in America, then working people and marginalized communities will keep struggling. And that to me is what's at the core of this election. Yes, we have to beat Trump, but we also have to fix the broken system that led to Trump being elected in the first place. People yep. are hurting. Yep. Our democracy is in shambles and incrementalism isn't going to fix it. No, absolutely agree. And, you know, there are those of us who will be like, you know, I'm OK if capitalism is destroyed. I do have concerns, <laughs> though, about what would come in its place. Right. But I think what we're talking about, like, like when we're talking about really shifting, like the system that we have currently, regardless of what your personal, you know, ideological leanings are. I mean, looking around, it isn't sustainable. It's when not. We're looking at when we're looking at masses of folks who are being who are struggling, whether it's because of student loan debt, credit card, you know, consumer debt, or because of, um, I mean, like we've talked about medical debt, right? Yep. Uh, uh, Senator Warren and others have talked a lot about issues with bankruptcy. Yep. Um, I, I just think about with my dad, like my dad is, is, is um, cancer. He doesn't like being called a survivor, but he's a thriver oh. and he is, um, he's still in treatment because his former cancer, he will always be in treatment, mm. but it is the levels are manageable and basically their version of remission. Mm. But like our, the hospital bills he still has for what he brings home as someone who's a working class bloke, like it's a, it's a lot, mm. you know, like we're lucky because the, the insurance covers so much of it, but it's still so expensive. Right. And so, um, and so we, when we're, when we're talking about these issues and we're really talking, I mean, I think it's just a matter of just making it plain and really communicating to people like kind of what's at stake, yep. you know, all the aspirational billionaires out there who will never, ever, they will never be billionaires, neither will their children more than likely. Like we, 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 we can't, we can't legislate on aspiration, yep. right? Um, we can definitely organize aspirationally, but when we're talking about like how we need to build policy wise, I mean, we need to actually look at what's possible. And like you were saying earlier when you were like, people were acting like she's really just disrupting. I mean, the system needs a little disrupting because we just Thank watched you. in 2008. We just watched Thank in 2008. You. Nothing has changed from 2008 where we just watched uh, a financial collapse that 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 really brought things to a grinding halt in many, many respects for many of us. I was coming out of law school at the time and yep. the job that I thought I was going to get no longer existed. So yep. for many of us like that, we still have not recovered from 2008. And, and when you think about homeowners and communities that have suffered, um, even when you look at, you know, the bubble that cracked in 2008, busted in 2008, was was was, was leaking air and stuff before then, right? Yep. Um, so, so when we're talking, we just had to connect these issues to communities. And so yes. help people understand, like, this yes. struggle that we're having right here, like, how does this matter to my daily life and break it down? And I think Senator Warren does a good job of doing she that. She does. Well, and also, like, it's not... I always tell people like when people say I hear the number one thing I hear people, they say, oh, Elizabeth Warren is radical. And I'll say, you know what? Like, you know, Elizabeth Warren isn't FDR radical. radical. Well, yeah. but, but you <laughs> know what's even radical. He was if in a good way. Case. But you know what's if even that's the case? Yeah. But you know, what's even more radical is is thinking that the same status quo politics that brought us here is going to get us out of here. That to me is more radical. Mm -hmm. 
that just because more of the same is going to give us more of the same. And when you listen to someone like Warren on the campaign trail, she's not making right arguments or left arguments. She's making values-based arguments. You know, this is about what kind of country do we want to be? Do we want to be a country with this amount of massive inequality and massive economic inequality? And what you were saying earlier, Noah, you're right on that like this isn't sustainable. If anyone who's listening wants to know what happens when all the when the billionaires and, and the wealthy and the elites and the ruling class has all the money and everyone else just has bare scraps, go study the French Revolution. Right. Okay. Go study Mary Antoinette and look what happened. Because and, and I don't mean to be dramatic, but like if we keep allowing the billionaire class and Wall Street to buy our political process and they're basically using their money. People always say, well, why don't we have change for gun violence and why don't we have more change for, you know, racial inequality and economic inequality and all these systemic issues we have. The reason we don't see real change is because the billionaires are using their money to influence our political system and and stop real change. That's what's happening. And for a long time, look, Obama was my favorite president in my lifetime. He's probably the only good president in my lifetime. But we we can't be we cannot be the political party that just sells hope and change anymore. We yes. have to be the political party that delivers hope and change. Absolutely. That to me is the mean- difference. I've, and I, I think, you know, it, it's post-Obama, like, even, like, coming in, by the time we were going into 2015, 2016, and really having to start coming to terms with some things, I mean, I think Obama coming into office in 2008, it ha- it was a moment, particularly coming out of the Bush years, oh. but I think it's, like, a reflective period. Like, I see a lot of people who are like, oh, my God, I can't believe I used to love Obama so much. I was like, you know, like, I, too, was, like, a really big, had an affinity for Obama, and it was funny because my mom used to sit there and just say to me, she's like, mm. Girl, I organized in Chicago. <laughs> okay. And I was just like, I have no clue what you're talking about. You won't tell me specifics. So, so I mean, I guess what it is, is like, you know, he's a politician, as we've seen, like every other one. But like, there was a need, there was a need for something to reinvigorate folks Absolutely. and realign people. Oh, and he was a time. good politician. He just, I mean, he, he, met, he met a lot he of just, opposition from Mitch McConnell and the Republicans, and they fought him tooth and nail. Yep. And one Absolutely. of the things I'll just say is, you know, Biden, he, he talks about, you know, oh, I was, you know, being with Obama, but like Biden was the one who kind of kept giving the Republicans what they wanted, right? And yeah. like, and well, I, and I'm trying why, to tell people like we. <laughs> this is why I also kind of call Biden kind of racist, right? Because when he keeps having these these messages, like, well, you know, they just they need to act right, and because I'm president, they'll act right. It's like, well, they weren't acting right when you were vice president. Thank you. I mean, like, where what? do you are you saying because you're old white dude and those are your friends, they're gonna suddenly listen to you? Whatever. Well, and why that's what I'm saying. Like, now? and hit, and he's. One of the biggest attacks that Biden and Buttigieg have leveled against Warren is that she's, you know, that she's that, that she's always about fighting and fighting. And it's, you know, and they're like, this is too much fighting. We just need to unify. And it's like, no, 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 no. This Republican Party does not want to unify with us. This Republican mm-hmm. Party is trying to beat us down. And if we keep having people that just want to imagine that, you know, Biden says that they're going to have an epiphany once Trump is gone and want to work with us. I'm like, girl, you had a front row seat to in the Obama administration to all of Mitch McConnell's obstruction against Obama. And you think that these Republicans are just going to have an epiphany? No, like we need a fighter. Like this moment is not about just a, you know, some moderate who says that everything's just going to magically go back to normal. Like there's no going back. And if we can fight and we can push and dream big, we can, we, these Republicans, the only way to get them to come to agree with us is to beat them down. Like they're beating us Mm -hmm. down and beat them at the ballot box. And we're not going to do that with these magical messages of unity that the Republicans don't want. Well, and then the way they're talking about and framing unity, like opposing people who are obstructing progress and justice isn't being united, is, isn't the same as being united collectively, Thank right? You. Like all around. We're not conditioning, we're not conditioning fighting for people to do better based on their support, right? right? Like, so it's not like only this class of people who vote this way will get the benefits. And that's the difference between Warren, some of her, uh, some of her uh, colleagues all in, in, within the party and the Republicans. Like, you know, having this whole thing about unity in Washington, we don't need to have unity in collaboration with people who are already starting at a low level that will 
um, disenfranchise people further, right? right? When we're talking about we need to take a stand for something, we need to advocate. So when people call her angry, I laugh because I'm like, yeah. she should be angry. We should all be angry. Thank you. Like, what is happening right now yes. is very upsetting. I yes. mean, that's, that's, and like, I can't remember who had the thread about this, um, but they were saying, they were just like, you know, she is angry and people, when they're angry about the conditions and treatment of other people, that's called empathy. Yes. And that is something that we do want in a leader. And so, well, yeah, um, she's angry at the injustice. Yeah, she's angry at absolutely. the at the black and brown people who can't get ahead because the system keeps pushing them down further. She's angry at the hate, cr- in- increased hate crimes against LGBTQ people. Like it's yeah. right. It's righteousness is what it is. She's, she's righteously angry because of all these injustices that are happening. And to just gloss over all this and just to protect, like we don't need any real change in this country and and just that all of this happened with trump and now we're just going to go back to normal like do people realize when they say back to normal uh, in 2016 normal wasn't wasn't really good for a lot of people right like normal was bad for a lot of people and so again it just comes to this point of like this to me is our election to not just beat trump but to finally bring real change to a system that's needed change for a long time and mm-hmm. I think that in Warren, I see someone who's going to do that because she's going to roll up her sleeves and she's going to build coalitions like she's building with you guys and she's and building with all of us. And she's going to fight to make this this happen, not just back down. No, absolutely agree. And I mean, there are there are so many people who are doing this work, right, whether they're specifically organizing around a candidate and a campaign or they're just building better process and agitating from the outside by having these roundtable policy discussions. Like we need people who are really built into the process to help move things along, because part of what I have learned from, you know, starting to engage in electoral work is that it's great to have the person who is awesome and willing to be out there, but we also need to have folks who are continuing to be a part of the process because if they only hear from the folks who oppose them, it can get weary and tired. And even the best person can wear down when they're only faced with constant opposition and not enough uplifting and support. And part of that support can also be still like pushing the other way, right? Because we know what the right, way to move is. I mean, I think about this also in terms of there was um, some legislation that uh, uh, Representative Lucy McBath was working on this past uh, earlier this year. And one of the things that we were at a roundtable with her, one of the things that was said was folks were like, and Lucy was sharing this with us, it's great to call, you know, our reps who are on the Republican side who aren't supporting, you know, the legislation she was working on. However, it's she she was sharing with us, it's also good when reps like her who are already spearheading, when they also get the calls that say thank you for fighting for us. Mm. Because trust and believe the other side has their folks bringing their phones off the hook. Mm. And if all our champions here is that it can it can get to people. Not right. saying that they're gonna you know change their course, but it it can get people down. They're human too, right? So yep. like so we need to just like this work. It's not gonna stop when we get someone new elected. No. I mean, we have to think. This is our new normal: being engaged and involved. Yes. And we have to figure out what that looks like in our day to day lives as we're managing all the things that we have to manage. Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head: is not paying attention in politics got us to Trump, yep. right? Too many people mm-hmm. in our party. We got lazy. We were disengaged, and and look what happened. And so I just think though that like this this I'm so first of all excited about your endorsement of Warren's campaign, and you know I want to thank you and Noah and everyone at uh, Black Woman Four for all the amazing you know community organizing and, and and coalition building that you guys have been doing. And you know the last thing I just want to say is you know I was so I was so. It really moved me yesterday when after you guys released that statement endorsing Warren, an hour later, I saw CNN picked it up and then I saw MSNBC picked it up and then I saw Slate wrote an article and then I saw the Associated Press did a story about it. And I thought, how amazing that all these national media organizations are listening finally to black women, that these amazing 100 influential black woman activists came together decided to you know put their power behind Elizabeth Warren and then now all these media organizations were sharing about that endorsement and I just thought that was a really powerful moment because the media or media sometimes isn't that representative right like you don't get that sometimes so I thought that was such an awesome thing yesterday when all the media picked up your your guys's endorsement of Elizabeth Warren 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I I appreciate that. Like I I thank you so much, one. And for the most part, the response has been really positive. I mean, obviously people are gonna have their different opinions and stuff, but yep. I think the takeaway for all of us, and I shared this yesterday when I shared our work, is that you know, the day before us, Higher Heights released their 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 pack endorsed um Senator Kamala Harris. Yep. And you know, there are some amazing women who do work with Higher Heights. And so, you know, the takeaway for a lot of us is we have black women. I mean, black voters in general, we're not a monolith. Yes. We care about particular issues. We want real leadership and real change. And we're flexing our voices, our spaces and our, our concerns uh, in a way that we're showing up in this election and we're showing up with real intentionality. And it's not about comparing or, or where our group is better than your group for whatever reason or our, or their group is better. You know what I'm saying? We're not yeah. doing any of that because we know that at the end of the day, our greatest power is our collective all of us, the collective we, yes, right? Yes. And so, and after we, this primary, we will all, and whoever we nominate, we will all vote for her in the general. <laughs> I love it. But I will say, as a takeaway for everyone, regardless of whether you know people agree or whatever the case may be, you know, like be inspired to to be okay with with pressing people that you support. Yes. And and and, and it because the, the strongest thing for us about all this, why we were even willing to step out and say yes, we'll support her, was when she was willing to agree to these commitments with us. Right. And we've had more because we were like, okay, we can give a list of a list of specific policies. But then we were like, there are some people who aren't at the table with us right now. Right. There's some people and some issues that aren't actually our issues yep. that we're leading on, right? Well, and didn't so she agree start- to sit down with you in the first 100 days, which I thought was fantastic. Not just with us. We got her. So we did that, wow. recognizing that while we might have this space, we do not represent everyone who would is in these organizing spaces, right? Whether they're, you know, you know, we talk about Black, Indigenous folks, Indigenous people, and, and, and Indigenous activists in particular, because of some of the issues and challenges that people have expressed regarding her campaign. So the one, we were like, what can we do if we're in this moment right now? What can we do to make an ask that leaves the door open for other folks to make their own ask and do wow. their own organizing around this? Wow. Because that was really important to us. But we also know we can't. We it would be the height of arrogance to try to to speak on behalf of other people besides us as a collective as we are organizing and moving. And so that hunt that that people's summit basically that we've asked for her as a president to actually have with people to shape how the country will be governed, not saying that she's necessarily just going to listen to people who are able to convene, but really bringing folks together and be heard, which is something that is like unheard of in wow. terms of American politics. That's amazing. Like, well, we, and, don't, and, we don't have, and how like, selfless to like, like inc- and how selfless to, for you got for your group, you know, for black woman for to Warren, to not just make it about you to include other groups in that summit that Warren would have. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the yeah. spirit of that's the spirit of the resistance. Right. That's the spirit of the true Democratic Party, that we are all in this together and not in a platitude kind of way that we fight for each other. You know, one thing, you know, that I just want to wrap with is when the whole Buddha judge thing happened, you know, um, a friend of mine sent me a message and is like, why are you betraying our community, like our LGBTQ community? They sent me a private message and I said, I'm not betraying my community. I don't just fight for LGBTQ people. I fight for people of color. I fight for women. I fight for, I fight for all minority groups. And I said, you know, I, when his campaign put out that poll, you know, that scapegoated black people, that the reason they weren't voting for him is because black people are homophobic. My thing, my, it hurt me because that's what Republicans do. That's what Trump does, right? Pit minority groups against each other. That's not who we are. That's not who our party is. And so I said to my friend, like, I didn't betray the LGBTQ community. I'm fighting for all of our communities. And what Buttigieg did was wrong. If he wants to engage with black voters and and increase his turnout with black voters, then he needs to roll up his sleeves and get to work and go coalition build. But don't accuse me of betraying the LGBTQ community because I'm not going to co-sign Pete Buttigieg's bullshit. You know, like, that's not how it works. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, 
we have so much that is happening in at stake and it's not at not not what works and we have had unfortunately to learn a very hard lesson the past three years about how this is not work what works I appreciate mm. those who are immigration who are immigration activists in particular and organizers who have not just stood in the frame of you know um Donald Trump is bad, but hey, these issues existed under, you know, the Obama administration, they existed right. under the Bush administration. Like, I appreciate people who are who are really using this moment to get folks to stand up and, 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 and see the issues for what they are. Right. And, and to be reflective. We have to do, yes. And we have to do better. Yes. We cannot claim, I hate when people talk about, oh, common humanity and I don't see color. Cool. If, all, if, if, <laughs> if, 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 if common humanity was enough, we wouldn't have so many of the things happening that we have now. And right. yet we do have the challenges and struggles that still exist. And so we need to dig in. So that may mean that we have, you know, we have imperfect people because the humans are imperfect running for office yep. and they all need to be pushed um, forward. However, we can push them to do what needs to be done. Amen. Well, Noah, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to talk to us today. And uh, I look forward to you know being in, in this fight with you as we move forward. Absolutely. All right. Have a great day. Thanks, Noah. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. Awesome. She was amazing. Isn't she awesome? Yeah. I know. I'm so proud of all the work that she's doing. Yep. Uh, and you can check out her podcast, The mm -hmm. Way with Noah. Yep. And uh, you can also follow her on Twitter. I'll tweet out her Twitter, Twitter handle shortly. Okay. Um, Sweet. But yeah, thanks for listening to another episode of Amped Up with Proud Resistor. Uh, we'll catch you next week for an all-new episode. If you want to tweet about this episode, you can use the hashtag Amped Up, and we'll catch you next week. Hey, this is Lee Papa, host of AGD Podcast with the Rude Pundit. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll love my show, where every week I talk about politics and interview funny, fascinating, and filthy people. Find it at sexyliberal.com and on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and everywhere else you get your podcasts.